It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. Raiders of the Lost Ark is next. everybody welcome into episode nine of the movie goats podcast it is john and today we are doing spielberg lucas ford the big three raiders of the last arc as always i am joined by brady and brian and before we get in to the flick brian you went on a trip this week you want to tell us a little bit about it I think you were drinking a lot of Merlot out there with uh, the sideways boys. Yeah. Uh, so my wife and I were actually expecting, so we planned a little baby moon. Uh, yeah. Exciting times in the, in, in our household. Um, so we planned a little baby moon. Um, we've been to California, you know, San Francisco, LA. I've been to San Diego, Palm Springs. I'd seen a good bit of it. But I'd never been to the stretch between San Francisco and L.A. that I'd heard so much about. So we did this trip. We went to Monterey. Um, I got to play golf at Pebble Beach, which was really cool. My wife's a great sport. Um, she kind of let me do my hobbies while we're baby mooning. Um, went to the Monterey Aquarium, did a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, saw Big Sur. Um, so we were able to drive like 30 miles down Highway 1, do some hiking, that kind of thing. But I also made this trip, and it's relevant to this podcast because there are a lot of movie stops along the way. So after Monterey, we went down to Santa Barbara, and we actually spent a night in um, in Buellton, um, which is where Sideways takes place. They actually stay at the the Windmill Inn in Buellton. As you know, who have seen Sideways, they they go to the Hitching Post for dinner, like on two or three occasions in that movie. We went to the Hitching Post for dinner. It was actually amazing. I actually highly recommend it. It is a no frills kind of old school joint, but they got the Santa Maria grill. At, like literally in the kitchen, you watch the guy grilling your steaks and your quail and the food was tremendous and it was such a great experience. When we also went to a couple of the vineyards that they hit in the movie Sideways. So we went to Fest Parker, which is actually where he... Uh, has his meltdown because he finds out his book's not getting published. They call it Frass Canyon in, in Sideways, but it's actually filmed at, at Fest Parker. The wine did not taste like the back of an L.A. school bus, as he says in Sideways. It was very good. Uh, and then working our way down the coast after spending a couple of days in Santa Barbara, which was lovely. Um, we uh, oh, Actually, one other thing about Santa Barbara, I actually golfed at the course that they golf at in sideways as well, which was, which was pretty cool. So that was fun. Um, Got to say it was an amazing time out there. Like that movie, it is so accurately done. Like it so accurately depicts that little town of Solvang and Buellton and that whole area, like all the vineyards. I mean, in one point of the movie, Jack, like the guys, her husband comes home and he has to run through an ostrich farm naked like that, you drive by that ostrich farm in between Solvang to Buellton. It's like so perfectly accurate. It's pretty funny. But anyways, last thing I did, I guess real quick, made my way down from Santa Barbara down to LA. And on the way down, we took the Pacific Coast Highway 
And I knew that there was a place called Neptune's Net on Pacific Coast Highway that I had to go to because it's where they filmed Point Break. And it's also where they filmed The Fast and the Furious. Um, some amazing scenes there where uh, Johnny Utah has to convince Tyler to teach him how to surf. And then in Fast and Furious, when uh, when Paul Walker's trying to get Dom Toretto to let him in on their their heist that they've been doing, uh, stealing DVD players or TVs or whatever it is. But um, place was amazing. I ordered the shrimp and fries just like Johnny Utah. I felt obligated to do that. Really, the food was good. I mean, it was pretty standard fried fish kind of thing, but it was still delicious and they they knocked it out of the park. So high marks for both uh, the Hitching Post and also Neptune's Net. Great spots. I got to ask on the Brian Power Rankings, what was higher to be knocked off, playing Pebble Beach or Neptune's Net? <laughs> Oh man, that's a tough one. I knew at some point in my life I was going to Neptune's Net. I I never really thought about <laughs> playing Pebble. Like we kind of planned this trip, and I was like, "Well, there's some great golf out there, so may as well do that." So in a way, I'd say Neptune's Net. My only knock on Neptune's Net was the merch, man. I wanted like a cool shirt, and they did have some, but they were charging thirty five dollars for a tee, and I was like, "Eh, I don't know about that." But it was uh, it was pretty cool though. And actually, one fact, I guess about Point Break being filmed there in that scene where he's asking her to teach teach him how to surf it almost seems like they like are going to a beach like right next to Neptune's net that is totally accurate like when we pulled up Neptune's net was still closed and so we just pulled to the side of the road I look over at the beach there were literally like about a thousand surfers just shredding out there and I was like dude this is this is so perfect like across the street from Neptune's net is like a great spot to surf right next to like the Santa Monica mountains, like right when you get into Malibu. So it was an awesome trip. Um, and it was great to see those kind of movie landmarks that I, that I always had loved. So that's sick. Well, congratulations to you and Emily. We're pumped for the news and glad you had a good time out in California. Brady, how was your fourth, my man? Uh, we had an interesting weekend. I feel like it's been a minute since we recorded. Everything's kind of been a blur. A lot of holidays were happening, a lot of extended weekends. Um, I did have a highlight that kind of related to this movie that I figured it was worth bringing up. I went, uh, I'd never seen this band. It was called uh, Pigeons Playing Ping Pong. All the boys are like, you got to see Pigeons Playing Ping Pong. They're sick. They're the best. I said, I'll, you know, bet. I'm in. Let's do this. Apparently, I roll in the night before they played two nights at the poorhouse. First night, act of God. There was no storm out, but allegedly an electric, a lightning bolt struck the transformer. No electricity. Set was cut short. So I show up, they say, we're gifting you a free extra set. So we're going late into the night. And I have, I, 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 I'd never seen these guys before. Lead singer, Scrambled Greg. I'm now calling him Lord of the Riz. Never seen a guy with more Riz on stage. So much presence. Oh yeah, he blew me away. John shaking his head. You guys can't see this. He's a hater. He's team hater. I'm not team hater. I was blown away by this experience. But then here's when the movie comes into play. Since they did three sets, it's late night. We get back, 2 a.m. What do I do when I have anyone over? And we have we need a little background TV show. Always put on Indiana Jones. One of the movies. I'm putting that on as background. The boys hadn't seen it. How? Who'd have thought they hadn't seen Raiders? They get sucked in. He turns me at one point. My boy Dev, he looks at me. He says, how much time's up in this movie? I kind of want to finish it. I looked at the clock. There's an hour left. At that point, it was 3 a.m., I said, boys, I can't make it. I can't make it. I can't make it to 4 a.m. But it's uh, it's something to be said that after a night 
of a lot of stuff happening at they were willing to go until 4 a.m to watch raiders and i think that's a testament to this movie and i, I okay john can, can what, what do you got against scramble greg say it on the mic i just think i mean no offense but i think pigeons playing ping pong is kind of corny like I, I, oh, I no, mean, they were so cool they were so cool they put on a show they like, were all about the audience they're really nice to everybody after they brought the saxophonist on the stage it was crazy everyone was high-fiving i've had that was the most high-fives i've had in one night in at least three like, months um honestly like I, i'm sure that they're great dudes or whatever but like i've <laughs> i've like seen sets at festivals where they played like a hakuna matata and like aladdin songs and whatnot <laughs> like unironically and it just wasn't for me <laughs> we didn't go there. They did. They did. The, the the highlight of the night was when they brought in all the openers and they did "Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls" and everyone was going nuts. That is they, sick. They do have one song that I do like that's an original. But yeah, I mean, overall, it'd probably be a sick band to see at a place like the Poor House. So I can't hate. Are they like a jam band or what? Yeah, they're like a little funky, like a, a little yeah. funk thread going in there. That's... Yeah. All right. Well. um, so, Brady, this was your pick. Indiana Jones is your guy. I don't know. Actually, power rank Bond and Jones as your two favorite characters of all time. And then tell us, why do you love Indiana Jones so much? Why did you pick this movie? Well, I'd say so growing up, I was really uh, very much into my two guys growing up as a kid, James Bond, Indiana Jones. Love those movies, love the adventures of them. And I think like a lot of things... I felt like there was a period, probably late high school, college, where I thought maybe I was a little too cool. Like, I was like, those are, there's a place for that, but they, the, the, those movies aren't like next level, like something that has more like depth to it or something like that. And then in recent era, I feel like the action movies, especially action adventure, they don't, they haven't lived up to that level. And I'm talking about the last 10 years, maybe. I mean, there's always exceptions, there's always, there's always great movies being made, but I find myself, now, as I grow older, revisiting these movies and especially the Indiana Jones characters, because I even have a hot take. It's a really steaming hot take. And I'll give it right here. You watch that original Star Wars movie, 1977. The key ingredient to that movie is Harrison Ford. I don't think there's a franchise that goes on for until the present if they didn't cast Harrison Ford because his charisma is so like fuego. And that's why I think they distilled him to perfection in Raiders, the persona, because he's the, what what separates him from a lot of people is that he can do the humorous action. He does a lot of his own stunts and he has that sense of humor about himself where like he almost like a lot of the action in this is almost like cartoonish, like in a great way, like a Looney Tunes thing where like when he gets knocked out by a guy, his legs will wobble and he falls on his butt, stuff like that. And I think these movies capture a world it's like a time period where there's still you know they always say like i'm too too uh born too late to discover the world born too early to travel the stars that's kind of where we're at this is still a time period where there's mystery in the world it feels like there's mystery in the world and i think that they do a great job of folding in that supernatural element which further enhances that and i just feel like i just every year i come back i watch the original trilogy that the, 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 that's what's near and dear to my heart. And I just watch them over and over again. They never get old. A lot of it is that Harrison Ford charisma. I think he's one of the great movie stars 
if not the greatest movie star of that era without question i think um and i just love i just it's the it's the costume it's the all the side characters he always has the great villains uh the love interests are always great but i i'm actually interested what what are your guys uh experiences with the indiana jones movies if you have any I gotta be honest, it had been so long since I'd seen them. I, I remember watching them as a kid with my grandpa, actually. And I think one thing about Indiana Jones is other than when Crystal Skull came out, I feel like like you can't go a week on national or on, on TBS or something where Star Wars isn't getting played. I feel like Indiana Jones doesn't get a lot of play. And I, I don't think it's because it's not popular. I don't know what's going on there. Maybe there's something I don't know, but like Jurassic Park feels like it's on TV a lot. Um, like I said, um, Star Wars feels like it's on TV a lot. It's just like, for some reason, I just don't feel like Indiana Jones gets the same exposure. So like, I almost feel like I'm not that ashamed that I haven't watched it since I was a child. Cause I don't really remember it having really strong runs on TV again. So for me, it was like a new experience watching it. Cause when you're a kid, you, you you don't really pick up on some of the thematic elements that are going on in the movie. So for me, it felt like the first time I'd ever seen it. And it was, you know, a great first experience. I remember watching them like, you know, with my dad would throw them on. And then we went to Crystal Skull together. And I was like, I don't know, whatever. It was a nice Shia LaBeouf movie. And my dad was like, what the hell was that? He was so mad on the way home. Because <laughs> like, I feel like Indiana Jones is a total like dad movie or just a dad franchise. Um I mean, so that's really my my uh, my takes on where I, I had seen it. We I have something that I want to throw out there. And Brady, I want you to touch on the second thing, uh, especially. But our good friend of the program, historian researcher Travis, came through again, sent me two articles. The first one I found very interesting. We've got two men who sued Paramount, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg, $210 million claiming that they stole the screenplay Raiders of the Lost Ark. This guy, Stanley Raider and Robert L. Kuhn, alleged that the Raiders of the Lost Ark was taken from Ark, a screenplay and unpublished novel about the powers of the Ark of the Covenant written by Mr. Kuhn that he submitted to various uh movie agencies including one that employed george lucas and he claimed that this was stolen so a little bit of a a little bit of a controversy there and then a little bit more controversy as a la times came out with uh moms were not happy with this movie moms that took their kids with the pg rating they were demanding that it was an r-rated movie based on how scary it was and some of the violence and Brady, didn't this lead to some changes? Well, that was more temple of doom was the one that kind of solidified the PG 13, um, which is one of the worst things that could have happened to movies to some extent, because now everything's PG 13. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I understand why Steven Spielberg pushed for it. Cause he was like, I want to get, take things further. Temple of doom is a lot darker. Um, and spoiler, I love Temple of Doom as much as Raiders. They're 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 on equal footing for me. I know that's a little hot take too. Um and we're not going to give any uh credit to Mr. Raider. A guy named Raider claimed that he wrote Raiders. 
uh, in his unpublished novel. I'm sure that really got across the desk of um, George Lucas. Yeah, those guys are. I don't think those guys are legit. <laughs> I don't believe it because we talk. Here's the thing, actually, I find really interesting about these guys is um, there's a so that when they were about like the background of why the Indiana Jones movie was made is that Steven Spielberg was frustrated that he couldn't direct a James Bond movie. And again, I love those James Bond movies, the globetrotting aspect of it. And he met with, you know, him as his best friend is George Lucas. And George Lucas says, he was complaining to him about it. He said, I, I have an even better idea. He's like, his name is Indiana Smith. And then Spielberg was like, don't love Smith, like the concept. <laughs> but they decided to make their own movie. And there's actually a story conference. So they got together. It was George Lucas um steven spielberg and lawrence kasdan the screenwriter and they just it was a it was a conference where they just discussed it all and this is all transcribed you can look it up and they discuss all the different like you know, the, basically they just wanted to make it like the old serials from the 20s and 30s where a character gets trapped in an impossible situation in a cliffhanger and then they escape so they were basically discussing what different ways we can trap our characters but the biggest thing i learned from reading those documents which are fascinating is that I always thought that Spielberg was like the key ingredient per se. And he is, his, his direction is pivotal, but all the best ideas were George Lucas, the idea for the character, all the set pieces, the whip, everything came out of his brain. And I think he kind of, cause he kind of had a bad rep. People were hating on him after the prequels. Now there's more nostalgia for him after the sequels, the star Wars sequels, but and people gave him a lot of guff about the uh, kingdom, kingdom of the Crystal Skull. People blame George Lucas for it. But everything you love about Indiana Jones starts with George Lucas. And I think that's the guy that deserves some more credit than he gets, than he, than he, than, than he's ever gotten. Cause I think that's even the new one. I don't want to get into the new one that just came out dial of destiny, but you can definitely tell that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg aren't involved in it. And now not to diminish Lawrence Kasdan's role, writing the screenplay, they, but they gave it, he, he's genius. He gave the great dialogue and whatnot, but all like the ideas of we're going to trap them in a hole, snakes, things like that. It's all coming from the brain of George. So shout out to George and his beard. Cause I think he's a guy who's sorely missed. I, I, I would love him to get back into making movies. He claims, how about this? He claims he's never stopped making movies. He makes them for himself. Experimental films. Maybe someday only his friends see them. That's what he. Oh. That's what he claims out in the out in the Skywalker Ranch. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he can have those experimental films <laughs> as, as long as Harrison Ford's not in them. I'm not interested. But uh... <laughs> when they came to casting Indiana Jones, they initially did not want to cast Her George Lucas. Didn't want to cast Harrison Ford because he's like he's my Star Wars guy. I don't want him. It's kind of funny. He was like, I don't want to be like Scorsese and De Niro. And we were like, well, why not? <laughs> That's sick. <laughs> but, but he's like, and they originally cast, famously they cast Tom Selleck and then Magnum P.I. got picked up so he couldn't be, be in the role, but he was literally cast. It was like weeks out. And then the TV show found out, oh, they're going to cast him in a movie. That means it's the same thing that happened to Pierce Brosnan where he was going to be James Bond before Timothy Dalton. But then his show Remington Steel got picked up when they found out that he was going to get cast as James Bond because everyone wants to watch a TV show with the guy that's going to be playing James Bond. Um, but this is where I want to, I just want to bring it up front. The Al Pacino switcherino. Now, the way the Al Pacino switcherino works is we choose one role that we would like to see. We're not erasing existence. We say, if I could cast Pacino in this moment of time, so this is 1981 Pacino, 
what role would you like to see him cast in and play? Obviously, my, my gut instinct. I'm thinking about it. Would I love to see Al Pacino put on the hat? Yes, I would love him to have the whip, the hat. Does it work? We're two years out from Scarface. Tony Montana. Does he have the riz to be Indiana Jones? Maybe. But realistically, I don't know if it plays. I think the casting, I would love to see Pacino playing Belloc, the rival. Now, this would have to be changed. Belloc's a Frenchman. If you do look at the transcript, they have a lot of discussion. At first, he was going to be Italian. Then he was going to be Japanese because it's like World War II era. They're like trying to decide between his rival. So we got to make him into an Italian. Because Pacino, love him, don't know if he can pull off a French accent. Even though he does do a Cajun accent, which is close. So, but this is 81 Pacino. So if we could make him like, uh, like Maestriani or something like that, I love a Pacino. I don't even know what voice he's got at this point. This is when he's like kind of between the accent, but I think he'd be a really good rival. I think he would be fire on screen coming off the Godfather movies and doing this one. Yeah. I mean, I think that's amazing. I kind of had a question just in general before we, you know, we get to the other Pacino Switcherinos. Explain to me the French guy helping out the Nazis. Well, <laughs> the French, <laughs> the French got occupied by the Nazis, but not, not at this point. Um, I think the idea is that he's a, this guy is kind of the dark, the idea for him, he's like the dark version of Indiana Jones. He does anything for money. Where Indiana Jones is motivated by history and the preservation of history, this guy's sole motivation is money. So he's willing to take money from the Nazis, which that's the darker version of it. He is a true Tomb Raider, you know, Tomb Raider versus Indiana Jones is the better version of that. Brian, do you have a Pacino switcherino? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't switch it. This was a tough one, I think, actually, for this. It's a really well-cast movie, right? Yeah. And I feel like we say that every time, but this time especially was tough. The one that jumped off the page to me was um, just based on the line delivery. Delivery was K- Katanga, the guy on the boat, because he says oh, some lines that I'm like, if Pacino delivered that, it would be so perfect. Like, like the he, pirate captain. Yeah, because he, he's like, Jones is dead. I killed him. He was of no use to us. The girl, however has certain value where we're headed. I could like I could just see Pacino just like crushing that line so well. Uh, but I don't I wouldn't recast it because it's great. I guess, I mean I would love but, to see Pacino in a captain's hat and a, and a white sweater. Yeah. I mean shoot. So that was my only one that I was like I would love to see Pacino deliver these lines, but I still I wouldn't change it. All right. Well that's amazing. That that's probably would have been my answer. I, I was I was working really hard and I could not come up with one. I'm a little surprised we didn't give a little uh, Pacino in for Sala. <laughs> like instead of like a big man, it's like little skinny Pacino coming in. <laughs> I think that was my like struggles with this was it was 81 Pacino. It's just hard. So it's like, yeah, because he's not really doing much. He like kind of this is his wilderness period kind of. Couple of things you touched on, Brady. I just wanted to call out. So, I think I love Harrison Ford. I think that what I wrote down when I was watching this movie, I was like, it's truly incredible that run he had, where it was Star Wars, it was Blade Runner, it was Indiana Jones, like late seventies, early eighties. That run was incredible, and he had all of these very prolific characters. I would say, but he didn't make them the same person in every movie. I think. 
Indiana Jones obviously has a lot of similarities to Star Wars, but I never felt like Han Solo and Indiana Jones are the same person. And I think that's a testament to how Harrison Ford carries the role. And and I, I just think like he creates a different personality and I wouldn't put him in the same camp as Pacino where he doesn't like change too much the way he like, I do think he changes not a lot, but I think he shows a little bit more range, I guess you would call it, but he is that same, has that same movie star quality where it's like, if he's in it, he's going to crush it. Like, it, I don't, I don't know. You know, I so. will watch any movie with Harrison Ford. In it. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm going to back that up and, and kind of back up what you were saying, Brady was like, when I watched star Wars, when I was a kid, I was like, Han Solo is the cool one. Like Luke Skywalker is fine, but like Han's the cool one. And I don't think this movie works with anybody, but Harrison Ford. Like I can't see Indiana Jones as anybody except Harrison. Well, Ford. I was going to ask if it's, I like Tom Selleck too. He's, he's a legend in his own right. Like it would be a different movie. What 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 is do you think this movie has you know a trilogy and then two later uh, features if it's Tom Selleck like do you think we have the same level of success? No, I don't think it keeps on going to the to this day. I think because Harrison Ford is literally like a once in generation movie star that just elevates it to the next level, and that's why I always get bothered when there's always those discussions about who who are we going to recast the role. I'm like you can't recast. I mean that's what happened with Solo. I like the movie Solo. But he wasn't Han Solo. It was a different guy. If you like Harrison Ford is the character and you it's not like James Bond where there's already like we have 60 years of that to go back on. It's too late. You can't just recast a character after 50 years and expect somebody to still have that gravitas. I think you just have to create something new or follow a short round or another character in the world. But you can't just pick it up. And I mean, because how many he's going to be doing period pieces fighting World War Two. Which you know, I know they de-aged him in the new one, which you know it is what it is. <laughs> but but um, it's just I, yeah, I just think you can't do it. I just it, it would be like casting someone else to play Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible, even though that's a remake of a TV series. But but like obviously it's Tom Cruise. Tom like nowadays yeah. you can't like tomorrow they're not going to say we're rebooting the franchise and casting someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean my take on it is if Tom Selleck was Indiana Jones. I actually think there's a chance we would have seen more movies, but they wouldn't have been as good. It would have been like a watered down because there have been so many action and adventure movies that I feel like are similar to Indiana Jones. I feel like the market was there. Raiders of the Lost Ark really kind of proved that this market is there. And I think like created a market. Yeah. Maybe somebody like Tom Selleck, who was on television for so much of his career, would have done like the one movie sequel every couple of years. And we would have had like, a Raiders or we would have had an Indiana Jones franchise. That's like the fast and the furious. Like, I feel like that could have happened, but with Harrison Ford involved, I don't think we got that, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. I think almost like what you just described, you made a really good point. I think there, there is a version of this where maybe they do like five movies in the eighties and then they recast it like James Bond because you know, that kind of thing. And it just keeps going because Harrison Ford obviously has so much going on. He became the biggest movie star of all time during this period. So it's like, but that's actually really, that, that's giving me some thoughts because there's the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which obviously I watched as a, as a boy. They just made, they, they had had him as a kid just meeting all the world. It was basically like Forrest Gump. He's like, oh, here's Harry Houdini. Here's Young Indiana Jones meeting him. <laughs> but but like, I, it just doesn't work without, and there's one episode where Harrison Ford shows up and uh, he does a cameo in it. And he's, they were filming The Fugitive. So he's Indiana Jones, full <laughs> fugitive beard. <laughs> and it's sick. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. 
it's like it's uh, you can look it up just indiana jones with the beard and it's just like it's so cool because you like you don't get to see him it's like you know it was like an early 90s after they'd done the last crusade and you're like yes it's our guy he's back (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome i have a funny harrison ford story i gotta share so so my nephew uh he's he's a little older he just graduated college but um he was at a amherst football tailgate he lives up in like the Boston area. So he's got some buddies. So he's at an Amherst football tailgate and he's hanging out under the tents, drinking beers. And he starts talking to this guy for like 20 minutes. And it's like, yeah, he was like an older guy. He was like really nice. He's like, there's something mysterious about him. We talked about like Amherst football. We talked about like the weather. We just kind of like, you know, shot the shit for 20 minutes and then, um, like ten minutes later, my buddy comes up to me. He's like, "Do you know who that was?" And, I, and my nephew had no idea who he was. And he's like, "That was Harrison Ford you were just talking to." And he's like, "Who's that?" So he like <laughs> looks him up, and like my brother, my nephew's dad, is like a huge Harrison Ford guy. And he texts me, he's like, "Dude, you won't believe this, but I just talked to Harrison Ford for twenty minutes." And it's so funny because if my nephew was like a big fan of the guy. I feel like he would have blown it. He would have been like, oh, dude, I'm such like, you know, like I wouldn't know what to say if I was near Harrison Ford. But since he thought he didn't even know that he was a star, he just had this great conversation with him. He's like, dude, he was the nicest guy, like just really easy to talk to. It was it was You'd love to hear that. Yeah, he's got I mean, the the thing is about Harrison Ford that's always funny is allegedly allegedly he's like the biggest pothead in the history of hollywood there's, there's not one foot of film that he's not hiding which it rules and that he le- and he loves to fly planes and crash them those are the two things that harrison ford likes to do and he's just an average guy he's just like a guy i mean he was he you know the, the whole famous story about him is that like he got cast because he was francis ford coppola's carpenter or something like that and they're like oh you should be in movies then he gets cast in star wars at 35 after doing small roles before that so that's why it's so interesting about him. He like led a whole life before he became a movie star. Just yeah. like a normal dude. He's awesome, man. I guess we didn't ask this question now. I mean, Brady, I think I know your answer to this, but what is your favorite Harrison Ford movie? I think it's not it's not as simple as that. Like it's but it's it's between the I'm crazy because I'm like between Temple of Doom and Raiders, and I'm like a big Temple of Doom guy, and I really love Raiders um it's between those two if i'm going to say outside the indiana jones franchise probably would give it to the fugitive i think that that's where that's where i would land i think i don't know what do you guys think i mean i'm a blade runner guy through and through but i do love the fugitive it's fantastic but decker and and blade runner he's so cool man and it's just he kills it i would say the fugitive too but i'll also throw out air force one I got to tell you, when I was a kid, I had like an irrational fear of ghosts and what lies beneath was like the scariest movie to me for like 10 years. Like I couldn't watch it. It freaked me out. But I I actually that movie's not that great. Like now that I'm rewatching it, but I kind of love it, too. I think it holds up to me because I hadn't seen it when I was younger and I came to it late and there's like some flaws in it. But I think it's like in one, it's cool that he was willing to take the role on i think there's there's i think what sets a movie star like harrison ford apart from other movie stars and the reason that he's like lauded so much is he has fantastic taste he generally i mean not all his movies are like four-star movies but for the most part he takes risks because it's not like he only plays it safe he does take risks he'll play villains in movies and he'll play villain like really dark characters like a what lies beneath um he's great and presumed innocent 
Um, but like he's and, and he's does all the genres. He does the sci-fi, even though he doesn't like sci-fi, which is hilarious. He's always like he he hated the Han Solo character, and he but he like does Blade Runner because he picks good directors. He take he took risks, and he never just like really just sold himself out because like, I guess he's made he's like I made enough money. I'll I, I'll choose to do good projects, and I think that's what's helped his legacy continue and why they still are able to make an Indiana Jones movie with him as a star and not passing the mantle to someone else kind of thing. Yeah. I regretted during the major league episode, not bringing up 42. Um, I like that. I think it's, a. I like that movie. I think it's underrated for sure. But Harrison Ford is branch Ricky underrated performance. Honestly, he, he was good in that. And like a more recent Harrison Ford performance too. I thought he was great. No, that was, yeah. Chadwick Boseman and Harrison Ford. Like that was, that was a pretty good one. Yeah. Well, that's what I think. I think there's like a thing where like you hear a lot of like modern day action stars say like, you know, The Rock refuses to lose a fight. It's in his contract, things like that. And the genius of like Harrison Ford is like his characters often get their ass beat and he's still able to. So then he eventually has to use his mind to get out of the situation or something like that. He has to be smart, you know, things like that. And that's what makes his character so fun is you don't know how he's going to he gets in a scenario. You're like, wow, that guy is seven feet tall, bald with a mustache. How is he going to fight this guy? And then he has to like, you know, use his wits to get out of it. And that makes for a more interesting watch as opposed to somebody that's just going to like, you know, you're never worried about him, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. Completely agree. Yeah. I think is it time to jump into the meat of it. Let's do it. All right. I think we open with maybe my two like favorite opening scenes of all time is the opening scene of Temple of Doom and the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I think this opener is so cool because you're introducing a character that feels timeless. And I think a lot of that's because we grew up and it always existed. But for me, when you watch it, you feel like this is an entire world. And when you have that scene where the guy's trying to portray him, well, first off, Shout out to the Paramount logo dissolved to the mountain. Love that. That was actually and, really cool. Yeah. Apparently it took them forever to find a mountain that would work. <laughs> so they, they filmed in Hawaii. Um, so they, he, he, they're walking in. You see these guys talking. It's 1936. Sick. It's very cool that they chose that, that time period very specifically to set it. And the guy goes to pull a gun on him. He pulls the whip, whips it out of his hand, steps out of the shadows, waterfall behind him. That's the first time you see this character doesn't have to say a word and you're like this is maybe the coolest man who's ever lived he's wearing a fedora a leather jacket in the jungle he's always wearing a leather jacket in the jungle or the desert which is crazy <laughs> he's got to be sweating so much <laughs> but it looks and it's the hat it's the whip even just the idea of the whip like he carries a bullwhip around it shouldn't work it doesn't make any sense but it's also like the coolest weapon you could possibly have Fair and enough. it makes sense yeah you can like swing to things so then we go into the temple. This is something that I think a lot of movies have tried to recreate since no one's gotten close to it. Like the hide, just the idea of like, he like puts his like hand out into the light shaft, spikes will come out, skeleton is skewered on it. And this is the Spielberg genius of it. Every, every little piece you get is more information. Like when the spikes go forward, that means somebody's died trying to do this. And he's like, and you got Alfred Molina, shout out to Alfred Molina, AKA Doc Ock um he he's the guy he's the guy that's with them when they walk in and the, they're able to communicate with you even when they get to the ta like the talisman you know the 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 gold head um that if you pick it up it was going to let let off some booby traps they're he's able to communicate that simply by just showing him 
take a, a bag of sand, pour out some sand, and it's all visual movie making in a way that it's very simple, but getting across like con, con like contemplated contemplated ideas. He gets the golden idol, all the things happen, and then becomes the rolling ball. So much iconography. It's just one movie. It's a movie, a short movie in of itself, right? Running through. I also shout out to Douglas uh, Soclome. He's the cinematographer. This is probably my favorite looking movie of all time. I love the sheen. It feels very much of its place. I feel like even the sequels haven't been able to replicate it. Um, it's been the, the two recent ones. Um, and you got the John Williams score. So cool. But the genius of it is he gets the golden idol out. They have the spiders. They do all this. His sidekick dies. The um, He almost gets trapped. Gets the whip. Gets out. He loses the idol. Any other movie that's introducing their hero would definitely have him get it. But Belloc's outside waiting with the Javitos. He loses. And I think that's a really fascinating take that they decided the first time we show our character is going to be him failing. Yeah, I mean, I also like that him failing, but just to touch on it, there's nothing more iconic than the taking off the idol and the sand followed by running with the boulder rolling down behind him. It's just like that's that like if they put together a supercut of every movie ever, like that would be on the supercut. I mean, you can talk about all the movies that have been influenced by Indiana Jones. That scene, I was feeling how many video games have been influenced by Indiana Jones, especially that first scene. It felt like something from Tomb Raider or from Crash Bandicoot, where you're like getting chased down by a boulder. Um, and that's like, that was the first thing I wrote down. I was like, this feels so much like a video game. It's it's awesome. It's very cool. It's, it's just Does like... he need help from these two guys? I mean, the one guy tried to kill him. <laughs> Did he actually need their help? They're just really good guides. Yeah. <laughs> they like, but that's it's a, it is really funny too. And they got the, they have the spiders and they're scraping them off because it's they, it's cool that they show that he's not afraid of spiders because they're saving that. Because then they have yeah. that great scene where all the Havitas are chasing him over the hill and then he gets to Jock on the plane and he says, There's a snake in the plane. That's just my pet snake, Reggie. <laughs> yeah, dude, just. And, never ever trust a guy with a pet snake and never ever ever trust a guy who brings his snake to planes to pick you up <laughs> unless it's snake. Oh, yeah jackson yeah it's a big plane. snake yeah they, yeah that was the first snakes this is where like the seed for snakes in a plane originated like what if we did this <laughs> but like times four snakes yeah but um i thought it was like it's so funny because it's so beautiful looking too when the, the, the plane flies off and apparently that plane did crash when they filmed it because harrison ford loves to be on crash planes um flies into the sunset and then you get after all that great adventure he looks so cool you see he's a teacher he's dude but he looks pretty cool there too because I, you know, I don't know if you saw the co-eds checking out the teacher i will say as a kid i was never like more enraptured by like wow that's got to be pretty cool when they have the i love you on the eye eyelids <laughs> like that's nuts <laughs> just like because I think I think as a kid I didn't realize how handsome Harrison Ford was. I'm like, that's probably the most handsome man anyone's ever looked. He I love when he's in glasses mode. Whenever he's in professor mode, he's got the cool glasses, the tweed that he's all tweeted up. I mean, this movie makes archaeology seem to be the coolest profession under the sun. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I, I there's I you have to assume that ninety five percent of the archaeologists got into the game after this movie because of the movie, right? Like, there's yeah. no chance. Yeah. 
And it's so, but I love his boy. And then you have Marcus Brody show up, Denholm Elliott. He's given a great performance. And he's like, I had the P, I had it in my hands. And he's like, and I let, it's the classic, like your dream boss where he's like, ah, so it goes. <laughs> There'll be other, you'll, you'll get another chance, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. He's a great sidekick. I love him. It's funny. People get fired up because uh, in the he's not in Temple of Doom. And then in The Last Crusade, he's used um, for comic effect um he's like it's it's a but the 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 last crusade is more of a comedy and everyone's like they neutered him he's so serious in this movie because he even says if i was younger i'd go with you to get the the arc myself and i'm like i don't know like we didn't get too much of marcus brody we can't be like that upset that they expanded the character a little bit because he's so good in the last crusade yeah but it is funny that they're like they well, those two government men come in, and this right. is they always say this is the great exposition scene, right? Where they explain everything that's going to happen. They, I love this ancient Bible they have that he just opens up to that perfect page. He's like, What is that fire god? Oh, you know, all this, and it's just even great because it's a thing. Hitler really was looking for the occult items to help him win World War II, he was trying to amass them. Um, it's funny because like, Phil Kaufman, he's the guy who directed uh, the right stuff. Apparently, him and George Lucas came up with the idea of the arc. And it's like the perfect MacGuffin of this is the uh, like an item because I don't think people really were discussing the arc at this point, like in 1981. I don't think it was like um, like I feel like the 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 chalice or whatever the, the last crusade. Holy Grail. The Holy Grail. Thank you. I'm like I'm missing. Well, yeah, the Holy Grail was something that was discussed. I don't think people were talking about the arc the way that that it was. Um, but they do set up the stakes where they're like, why are they? The Nazis are looking for this. And you see the excitement in Harrison Ford. He doesn't, and he, and you see how he's a good teacher because he explains it to them. He gets the chalkboard. He's doing the sketches and the, the, the exchanges between like the looks of between the two government guys where they're like, Oh, well, this is, this isn't this interesting. We came to the right man. And then he, they think Abner Ravenwood is a, is a Nazi. He's like, Abner's no Nazi. And they, they decide that he's going on the trip. They give him the funding apparently what do you guys think about this so you know they had that scene with him and marcus uh back at his uh, indiana jones's house so you notice he's in a bathrobe um and he comes in and that's when they discuss and he like throws his gun into his bag and they discuss he's like i think men have sought this the whole entire lives supposedly they filmed a scene with a woman that he had one of the co-eds over because it was gonna because they were trying to make him like james oh, bond really? yeah he's gonna be more james bond like and be a playboy but then they decided that that wasn't necessary. That doesn't fit into this character. Because I think a lot of it is realizing they have all their influences that they're pulling from. And I think they just get further and further into creating their own character. Because I don't think that would have worked. Then so, you, he seems more of a cad if you do it that way. So when we get ahead to the point where Indy's got the, the rocket launcher. And he's like, dude, you're not going to do it. Like, you love history. This is all about the chase for you. He's not the guy who gets into teaching to get into scandals. He's into teaching because he loves the history of it. So I don't think it plays. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but why why he's going for this idol in the beginning, he's to, doing it to donate it to the museum, which is interesting. Like it's it's a much more worthy cause than to sell it or something like that the way Bellick does. But And I'm sure we'll talk about this soon, but... It is interesting that they're going to these other countries and you're kind of like, while what Indiana Jones is doing is is better than trying to sell it, you're still like, why are we stealing things from these ancient civilizations? 
So I, I don't know. I, I think that there's, I'm sure there's a, a lot of literature out there on kind of how that might be related to like colonization and things like that. But it is a very interesting topic. I'm sure we'll get to uh, during this conversation. Yeah, colonialism is a factor. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it is what it is. It is that is the whole question of archaeology, right? Um, but I do think it, it it does age better that he is doing it at least for the museum, and he's doing it for kind of the love of the game rather than try to try to sell stuff because there are movies out there where I feel like even the the main hero of the movie they're not necessarily always doing it for like a just cause the way that that he is so i do feel like in some ways it does age better and it's funny too they always say you know people i think people way too focused on character arcs nowadays when people talk about movies and how that that's the only thing that matters for characters and say that the the character arc that indiana jones goes through in this movie is becoming from an atheist into a believer because he makes a point to say i don't believe in that mumbo jumbo and then by the end he's saying close your eyes and i don't think that's really his character arc because they don't really that's what that's like i think that's been repeated so many times that people people believe it i think his character arc more relates to marion and their relationship i don't think he it's not it's not about that it's not about a guy who's because they would have leaned more into him saying i don't there would be multiple scenes where he's like i don't believe in that you know junk i just believe in the you know, that's not what it's about the movie's not about that um, yeah I but it's funny he, i can't remember exactly i mean he definitely makes a couple comments throughout the movie about like i don't know if i believe in this stuff but it was never like outright, like I'm an atheist. I don't believe in. Yeah. That's not his core tenet. And it's yeah. more, and, it's, and even in Temple of Doom, which is a prequel, which is funny. It's his arc is a lot more clear in that. He says, I, I, he literally says in that movie, I'm in it for the fortune and glory. And that's why, because that movie takes place before this movie. So he hasn't had a, like he has a change of heart by the end of that movie where his motivations become better. And that's where you find him at the beginning of Raiders. So I think, but it's funny that I always hear that argument. Like, like, oh, it's about that. I'm like, no, it's about his relationship with Marion, which leads into this, where they say, oh, we have to find this piece. And they have that incredible, this is maybe my, one of my favorite um, looking like scenes of all time. Is it one? Bar scene. Yeah, the, the bar scene. So we have the, the iconic red line going, which is funny because I watched a lot of old movies from back then. And you see like a lot of movies just did that anyways, but now you can't do that because it looks like you're knocking off Indiana Jones. Uh, but he flies in there and it's always funny too whenever you see Indiana Jones not wearing that costume like in that scene he's wearing a navy suit and like a tan uh uh fedora yeah. and you're just like and then you got tote the, the the greatest henchman like sitting behind him reading life magazine watching over and that's John Williams score you don't know who this guy is but you just hear and you're like oh that's a bad guy <laughs> And then we have the greatest intro, maybe to a to 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 a romantic lead, maybe of all time. She's one of the great characters, Marion Ravenwood, um, played by Karen Allen. She's in a drink off. Now, John, what do you think? You're rolling in, and you see a girl. One, I love that she calls it. This is my place. She's just doing shot for shot against just a bear of a man. I don't know where they found that guy. I've never seen him in any other movie. That guy should have been playing the henchman in every movie. <laughs> Are you asking if I'm like intrigued? Are you intrigued if you walk <laughs> in and you see a girl with like 20 shot glasses around, just totally unfazed? I'm not intrigued romantically. I'm very intrigued from just watching uh, and seeing what happens next. <laughs> and I just, from a pure business perspective, I've got to question her. 
her economic policies if this is what she, what kind of shit she's funny no, did you see how much cash she got she was that's how she makes money she puts bets on it fair <laughs> enough fair enough I forgot, I forgot i forgot that she was betting on herself the funny thing is I was, I was waiting for it to come full circle when she's drinking in the tent later on with bellick i was like okay she's gonna trick him He's, she's gonna get him drunk and then she's gonna make an escape because she's she's got she doesn't get drunk she she's got a crazy alcohol tolerance but it didn't actually happen but I was like I wait think that's she's a, she's trying to do that and then she gets yeah, caught yeah. by the tote rolls in and, and ruins it yeah, it's I guess, yeah. like, it's definitely a skill I mean good for her like uh it's it's so cool it's a nice party <laughs> trick she, party trick is just like be a very them. expensive date that's all this, okay the, there were several times that I think for a lot of people who see this movie there are several times you're like this feels like a Star Wars movie that particular time you're like well there are most nicely cantina yeah there are a lot of bar scenes in star wars movie where they're going around they see all these different extraterrestrials and they're playing instruments drinking doing shots this guy is the closest any human's been to an extraterrestrial he's just his fingers are just so like they're just literally link sausages and he's every like when he picks up a shot glass it looks like a thimble and he's not going to, but I like it. They do that, that, that. This is Spielberg's great direction. He's like, it's all one shot. I'm pretty sure. And then the guy, you think he's, he's fun. He does a shot. He smiles. And then he just collapses. Yeah. And then she's yeah. like, ah, all right, we're closed now. Well, that felt to me, it felt so much like Star Wars. that I was like, okay, George Lucas played a, he had a heavy hand in this particular scene. It was fun. And then the, then Indiana Jones walks in, you have the incredible, because the genius of the hat is the silhouette. So you see his shadow she has the the you know the the ice against her head, but then they use a sound effect of broken glass. She throws it to the ground, and she's like, "Oh, Indiana Jones, you're back in my life." And they have that great tension. She punches him in the face to start it off. Um, infamously, George Lucas is like, "Oh, uh, in in this in those like transcripts, is like she should probably be like 11 when we when they had an affair." And then Spielberg was like. George, I think she should be older than that because uh, I think he was trying to be a little edgy. I think I'm, the, the timeline makes more sense, but clearly they had a romantic relationship in the past. Indiana Jones was a was was a cad. She was the her father was his mentor, and I do like that. You can tell that within thirty seconds, you feel like you know their entire dynamic, their entire relationship history. She doesn't want to help him. Her motivation is the money because, like, screw this is basically our ex boyfriend. Screw him, right? Um, and he's like, ah, I could give you this money. It's just a worthless brass medallion. I love, <laughs> I love his little one-liners. And she come back tomorrow. I love, I love that. He rolls out, and now we actually have the Nazis show up in the first like real like these are bad guys. And I just love like all the different like effects, like the idea of like they get the metal, they heat up the the prod, and it's glowing orange like ET's finger. They're putting it up to her face. Indy comes in, and this is maybe this is when I say like my favorite looking. It just it has that maybe it has that Star Wars feel. I don't know. It has that weird sheen that Douglas Soclum got, and everybody's fighting. It's all like you know breaking bottles over people's heads. The one guy gets like lit on fire. It's wild because they discuss that in the the stories. They're like, how violent are we trying to go with this? And they're like, not too much, but they do push it. They push it about as far as you can go. The guy gets shot in the face, and his whole face like his blood runs down it. Yeah. That shot always got me as a kid. A lot of everything like is building up on top of each other. Yeah, I mean, you watch like I keep I need to stop bringing up Star Wars, but like you watch like newer Star Wars movies and 
like even the old Star Wars movies, they get shot with lasers. There's no like blood. There's no like true like gun. I mean, they're they're laser guns, but there's not like anything shooting bullets that penetrate skin. I would say the way that we see here, and it was a bit of a, a surprise. But I I kind of like that. Like I feel like when I watch the new Star Wars movies, I I feel very much that I'm watching like a Harry Potter movie where it's like they got like wands and they're just I don't know. That's just what it feels. They're really like. sanitized. Yeah. Yeah. And what I like about this, honestly, not that I'm like a violence junkie, but like. I do like that it's a little bit more realistic in a sense that this is what it would look like if there were gun shooting and swords and all kinds of stuff going on. And that's like, it has like the hyper violence, which I think even in the new ones, they wouldn't go as far as this one, which I, I think is like, is, this is really great. And then he gets the, the like, the, but they still have the humor. Like for instance, where he gets pinned down, he's like whiskey. She gives him the whiskey bottle, hits it. They light the bar on fire. The fire's coming towards his face. It's all like, it's cartoon kind of violence. And the way that Spielberg, you can just tell Spielberg's having a blast filming that. Yeah. And like the whole place is burning at the same time. So it's like all like the stakes are as high as they possibly could be. I yeah, I think it and then they do the genius too, where Tote goes down, he sees the medallion, tries to pick it up, singes the hand, and then he runs outside and plunges it in the snow. And it just the the great ending of the scene is like they hate each other, but then she says, Well, he's like, I'm going with you we're partners and she holds up the medallion and you're just like yes the it's almost like you're getting the team back together you're excited and then it's just immediately goes from the snows of kilimanjaro to egypt and i think that's the kind of thing where the exact like when i see like movies that do like all these elaborate things i'm like all i i just need a globetrotting movie if you show if you show me snow and sand in the same movie i'm there put that along with my mount rushmore of things <laughs> lots of extras sand and snow i can't just i want both that's like a great like a, the best westerns will have a snow scene and then a little desert scene that's that's what that's what i need and that's what he kind of gets we we roll in and we have sala played by did you guys know that it's that's gimli from lord of the rings the dwarf <laughs> no i did not oh yeah it's uh that's john reese davies um playing he's playing an egyptian you know probably modern times uh you he'd be Cast as an actual Egyptian actor, but you know it is what it is. Um, but it's funny they still bring him back in the new one. They play, he's he's back in the new one again. Um, but he does play a great sidekick. He's one of the great like you go to a town. I love a movie where a character goes to a town and they know people everywhere. And he's like, this is one of my great friends. And they're like, they're the Nazis are digging here. And he does that. This is one of my favorite maybe line readings of all times is when he's like, yes, they're led by a man named Belosh. And then Harrison Ford just starts cackling. He's like, Belloc. His name's Belloc. <laughs> it's just so over the top. I love it so much. He's also looking like a snack at this point. He's unbuttoned the shirt past the belly button, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> at this point in the movie, Harrison Ford's just riding. He's like, I look great. Check me out. <laughs> and then we have the monkey. Monkey that gets intro. They literally said that like they took him like so long to try to train the monkey to do the uh the hitler salute like even it, that's one of the things in the story meetings like we got to get this monkey to do a hitler salute which is nuts because you can't like train a monkey to do that <laughs> like, but here's another thing that's so great so one of the impetuses to make this movie is that uh up to this point in his career steven spielberg had, had a lot of hits but he always went over budget and over schedule so that was always a knock on him and it was always fine because he had hits like jaws closing Cowards of the third kind but then his last movie was 1941, 
which is the comedy with Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi. And I really wanted to love it when I finally got around to it. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't work. And it was a big flop. So this is, he's like, I'm making a movie on budget, under schedule. They literally came in 10 days early, I think. But the the character with the eye patch that has the monkey, that's the same guy at the beginning that gets dropped by the Jovitos with all those little uh, like poison darts in his back. Ah. That's the same actor. They just put an eye patch on him. Because he's just looking to cut corners wherever he get wherever he could. Huh. Um, but then they they do so then this leads to one of the great chase scenes where they're on foot. The the Nazis are coming for them. Um love I, this is another great extras forever. So many extras. You have Nazis, you got the the chase on foot. Spielberg does no, nobody does it better. It's a maze of a city. So I, I've read some stuff somewhere and I really want to ask if this is true or not. During the chase scene, we've got Indy comes up and he sees the big dude with the sword and the guy's doing the thing. And he kind of just looks at him and shoots him, which is iconic, hilarious. Is it true that there was supposed to be a sword fight, but Harrison Ford had diarrhea and says, I'm not fighting with swords. I'm just going to use a gun to kill this guy. They say it's true. He had dysentery. They say this is what happened. The only person that didn't get like hurt, uh, didn't get sick on set was Spielberg because he was such a Spielberg was such like a like a like a big all he is is just a kid grown up. He's like, I'm only eating spaghettios out of a can. And so because he was the only one eating the spaghettios and not the local food, he didn't get sick. So oh. that's why Ford was like, I can't do the action scene. It led to one of the great, they, you know, people said he improv I don't know if it was improv or not, but clearly like it's one of the most iconic moments of the entire movie. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, I'm so glad to hear that that's true. It's amazing. It rules. It absolutely rules. Uh, and they, then you have the great, uh, the basket scene. He's chasing the baskets and then they blow up the truck. What? So you guys hadn't seen the movie in a minute. Did you think for a moment that Marion was actually dead? No, no. I th- like the thing about this movie is I think had I seen it in 1981, I would have not known. But I feel like I've seen this formula so many times now because it's been recreated by so many different franchises and movies that it was like I you kind of knew like that was people knock it off. Yeah, yeah, people knock it off a lot. But I, I, you know, what? I, I, just for me watching as a kid, it like the last scene really stuck to me where they're tied to the post or whatever. So I just was like, yeah, she can't be dead. She She's clearly in that last scene. Uh, again, well, it's funny too, because then they, you do the great moment where you cut to Indy just hitting the, the bottle of whiskey. Um, Belloc comes in and then they have that incredible line. That, that This is when you have like, the, that sets this apart was when he's like, uh, uh, like, I'll see you, like, we'll see you in hell. And he's like, why don't we go there together? And you're like, yes, these are guys. And then they, all the kids come in, Indy, 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 and Sala. I have to say, Sala should have shown him a little bit more sympathy. He's like, Marion's dead. He says, yes, I know, I heard. But life goes on, Indy. And I'm like, come on, man. Gotta give, gotta give Marion a little more than that. Yeah. But then I we think, have the group. Oh, go ahead. Hot take real quick, Brady. This this might hurt your feelings a little bit because I know you dress up as Indiana Jones for all your like costume parties or anything. But I think Marion steals the show here during this whole sequence with her, like, white and red like jumpsuit with the bell bottoms i mean that he's got some outfits that was that was a sick look yeah she's kind of killing it 
um i do love like yeah next the next one is another one where i just love basically i love all the interiors i guess because they're always doing like matte paintings of the outside but they bring it to the old guy uh they have the medallion and then they have the they're dinging in the wrong spot which is so which is so great and he's like ah they don't because they only have one side because the guy burned his hand just that element is so ingenious yeah and then they have the incredible poison dates uh the bad dates the monkey do you guys think i know john is team there's no such thing as a bad dog there's only bad owners was this a bad monkey the the do you, were you can see that this is a bad monkey not just a bad owner yeah dude like dogs are one thing whatever like cats anything like d- dogs are different there can be bad monkeys there can be other bad animals this monkey was obviously a bad monkey this monkey was a nazi yeah that's what i'm saying like you just <laughs> said they tried to teach it to do nazi signs like no this is a bad monkey yeah it seemed like like it was it was one of the it was kind of the way dogs are sometimes so they'll only do something if they get a treat I think that monkey was just, I mean, he was just looking for a, a a job to get paid treats or whatever he, I guess you pay monkeys in. No, he probably got paid in outfits. This monkey's like, dress me up. He was... <laughs> That's <laughs> fair. He did, he did have he a, a little, nice yeah, he was a fashionista. Nice His next step was going to be like, give me the Marion fit. Like, I need that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the monkey looks like Aladdin. But <laughs> <laughs> then we have the great moment. They This where we have so many extras, apparently uh spielberg wanted so many more extras and i and i and i agree with them they only gave him 600 he wanted 2000 so they get they're 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 going out there uh to to start digging because they they and then they go into the incredible uh what is it this isn't the well of souls the 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 map room he goes in the map room and he has the actual proper size staff puts it in and this is the first time in the movie we see that there's some supernatural force perhaps in play and I think this is so cool looking where the light shines through at a certain time. The laser shoots down into the city on where to dig. That's where the well of souls is. And he just sees the one you see the wonder in Indiana Jones's eyes. And he's like, oh, maybe there's something going on here. And that's also more motivation where we can't let the Nazis get hold of this if this is the situation. So then he maybe one of the coolest looking shots of all time. He gets his crew with Sala to start digging up the well of souls. And they have that sunset. And it's just him, his silhouette of him like putting the hat on. Chef's kiss, maybe the most one of the great shots of movie history. They get down to it. It's uh they find the uh, entrance. I love they they pick it up and they do that effect where like air shoots out like it's been sealed sh- air shut for like yeah. thousands of years. Open it up, <laughs> the great line of all time. Indy, why does the floor move? And then you realize it's snakes, and he's like, "Why did it have to be snakes?" And you're just like, "Ah, oh, it's come full circle." That's why everything in the movie, this is where the chasm comes, and he makes everything connect so great. And that's the genius of the movie. Where I think a lot of other movies they have a lot of elements, but they don't have every element link perfectly to the next element. They go down there. Here's a question: as a as a guy who literally hates snakes, this is nightmare fuel. And seeing this is like so young, I was like, I had to like literally do like the close your eyes, like tell me when it's over. Type. Yeah, really. Like I hate sna- even watching it last night. I was like, kind of like, all right, I'm gonna pop open Twitter real quick while the, like the snakes are coming. There were so many snakes, so, so many, many snakes there, yeah. <laughs> an overabundance of snakes. Cobras um, too. 
Yeah, and I love that they get the fire. It's the genius idea that the snakes don't like the fire, so they're like laying it down around. They lift up the ark. It looks so cool. They get it lifted up. Here's my question, straight up. Is Salah able to climb up that rope with his own upper body strength? And do you think either of you could climb up that rope? In my prime, yes. Right now, maybe not. Uh, him. I would need gloves. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, <laughs> I've got gloves. Well, they don't have, like, ch- like talcum powder. He's, like, powdering up before, he, before he's riding up the <laughs> road. LeBron? I don't know. Could you do it? <laughs> Brady, could you do it? I don't think I could. No, that's why you guys like said that with confidence. Like, yeah, no, no, that would be impossible. Like, uh, like I'm, I'm always been bad at the pull-ups. I go to the gym. I'm always trying to hit the pull-up machine. Like, yeah, I'm hitting the machine. I ain't just going up free. I'm always like trying to like do more and more on the pull-ups. I, um, you know, I'm a cardio cinema guy. That's where uh, that that's where the the most important work gets put in. Uh, but I don't think I could climb up that rope. I think Harrison Ford could. I don't know if Salas. Now, if Salas put the little tiny loop at the bottom and they pull him up like they pulled up the arc, maybe that's how he gets up. That might be that might be the easiest way for everybody. Um, but I do think it's like so funny that it all gets down there. The rope gets pulled up. Indiana Jones is freaking out. And then the flags come down and it's like the Nazi flag. That's it. Cause they, and then he's like, huh. And then, but then the Nazis show up, they got Marion. She's still alive. And I love that one line that Indiana Jones is. Oh, we, I forgot to say Indiana Jones finds her. And that's another great detail where he's like, if I free you, they'll know that I'm here and I'll blow everything. I got to keep you trapped. And she's like, Jones, you son of a, um, and then the fact that they throw her down in there, the Nazis are like, we're just going to throw her into the pit with you and they're just going to be sealed down forever. I think that's one of the ingenious points because one of the big things they discuss in the, the document is at first they're like, oh, the room will fill with sand or um, they're just trapped down there. There's no snakes. And once they realize the snakes, the perfect thing, because that gives you that time element where if they don't, they only have so much fire. Once the fire's out there, they're finished. Um, and then it was gonna be water. At one point, they're like, they're like, it's a well, so water could fill it up, which would have been interesting. And then it's like, how do you film that? It doesn't really. It's not the snakes is perfect, right? So, yeah. But w- we skipped a little something that I wanted to ask about when when they throw her down there. Belloc's pissed, right? He's like, oh yeah. And then it happens again later. <laughs> like, it's kind of like just, mine. like just chill out man like yeah she's 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 very attractive but like if you're gonna get all this gold all the all these prizes and, and accolades for finding the ark like just chill out man but i do like his reaction they throw her down there um and he's like i guess it wasn't meant to be <laughs> like, like, yeah. he's just the ultimate frenchman <laughs> he's like is this, also, is this is also when he bids uh jones adieu right yeah. <laughs> and they had that great and again harrison ford brings it he's like you son of a bitch <laughs> he's like why don't you come out here and find out um i like yeah the, it's an incredible little bit where he, he climbs up knocks then huge egyptian um it's not a sphinx whatever uh it was a jackal yeah um knocks into the wall they burst out and then they just go full uh like Harrison, this is Spielberg at his most childish, where it's just a mummy, a bunch of like skeletons and screams, and yeah. he's just going for the gross out, and, I, and that's that's fun. And he's like, "Ah, oh, I found a way out." Then we have the Nazi wing. I'm also like fascinated by these like aircraft at that time. What? Why have I never seen planes like this again? Where it's just literally a wing with a cockpit on top. 
that thing's nuts. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, it was weird looking machinery. Uh, yeah, but this is like twenty minutes of just awesome action. This is maybe the greatest. Th- this fist fight leading into the chase, maybe yeah. this is the greatest stretch of just straight action in movie history because it's all perfectly shot. Even though Spielberg, he actually gave the chasing to the B unit. He 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 had it storyboarded and he let his like second unit do it, which is kind of fascinating because it's one of the best looking things ever. Yeah. I think the chase scene is the best action in the movie. Yeah. But I do love this fist fight where you're like, that, cause that's the genius of it. He gets to the guy, he punches him. There's no reaction. He hits him. He's getting the, the plane spinning around. Marion's like fighting. She gets trapped inside the oil spilling. This is where they're just like, everything's adding up perfectly. Every ingredient they add. It's like a chef making like a perfect meal. We're like, Oh, what if we had a, a dash of cilantro no one no one thought we we're gonna throw cilantro that's the gasoline the gasoline is the cilantro we already got the salt the salt and pepper is harrison ford versus the a big ma- bald nazi with a mustache shirtless um and then it, but then when he gets chopped up <laughs> that's so that, that rules the guy gets shot up the blood splatters everywhere again in the pg movie i don't even know if they'd put that in pg-13 movie now which is a shame because i think people, clearly people can handle it because this was in a movie forever everyone's seen um they escape the huge explosion. I love the idea that the Nazi, like, they show he's asleep and he's woken by the explosion, even though there's been, like, gunshots been going off. He's snoozing. Now it's like, they get out. Salah's like, they have the Ark in, a, in, in the truck. And then and he just says, which truck? And then he's like, how, how will you get back? And he's like, I'm making this up as I go. When he says I'm making it up as I go, that's the key to Indiana Jones. You're like, oh, yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's He's got no plan. He just has no fear, basically. He's brave. And he's just knows I'm going to figure out how to get out of this. And then they do have this chase scene. I love, I love the stunts. The guy's climbing on trucks. People are falling through. Indy gets shot at one point in the arm. So My favorite. Go ahead. Here's why he wears the leather jacket at all times when he does the whip under the, under the truck. And he's literally just being dragged on the ground. That would hurt really bad. A leather jacket makes it hurt a little less. Yeah, one of the great stunts of all time, definitely for sure. I also love my favorite effect that they do, and as a kid, this always messed me up in the head. Was when Indy throws the one guy off the truck, and you just see he falls under the wheel, and you just see his hands and legs pop up, <laughs> and you know that that means he got run over on the stomach. <laughs> like, like it's nuts. Um, but it's oh yeah, it's all it's just everything keeps adding up. Every time you think he's gonna get away, he takes control of the truck, and then. He's on the front of the truck. They're going to squish him. The Mercedes of it all. It's like all 1930s trucks. Anytime you can have a guy in a truck fist fighting with the drivers, he he probably best like 10 guys during that sequence, like 10 different guys trying to get in the, in the, the driver's seat at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, plus all the motorcycles and other guys that he had already gotten rid of. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's so cool. And then he like drives them off the road and then they're like, dang it. And then he just peels off, rolls out. And then he just knows exactly where to pull into. They open up the door to like the garage, put up a little stand in front of it. And the Nazis like, oh, where did he go? And now you're like, oh, wow. He pulled it off. Indiana Jones has the Ark. Salah hooks him up with the, the pirates. He's like, we're getting on this boat. We're home free. We have one of the great romance scenes of all time. Some of the best dialogue where she's like, where does it hurt? And she's kissing them all over and you're like, ah, oh, this is nice. This is good stuff. They kiss him on the lips, and then he falls asleep. And you're like, ah. And they also have that cartoon moment where she flips the mirror over and it hits him in the chin. 
and they zoom out and it's like Wah! he screams like a cartoon character i actually was confused by that when i, I was like what just happened I, I like it took me a second to realize like oh he got hit by that mirror i thought that like i don't know i i, I was so confused i thought he got shot or i don't know if you get electrocuted i just I love like, the cartoon logic of it yeah. <laughs> he, just gets, he just gets hit in the chin <laughs> um but then yeah he falls asleep they don't and then she says the timing was never right for us and you're like ah. Oh. um then the nazis show up he's hiding in that boat like in the you know doing his thing they got the u-boats there um did you guys notice this they cut the scene out that explained it i never thought about it once until i got like 10 years after i'd seen it how he stays on the submarine because submarines travel underwater because he doesn't go inside the submarine. The actual explanation, the in-world explanation is that he used the whip to tie himself to the periscope and they filmed it and Spielberg's like, this looks so goofy. I don't think the audience is going to be thinking about it, which is true. You don't think about it because I think they also make a point never to show the the um, U-boat to actually go underwater. Yeah, they never show it submerge. Yeah, so I think that's the clever. They just so just ultimately like this is kind of like a boat that travels half underwater. <laughs> but I think that like that would be so goofy just to have him like tied up, just rolling. <laughs> but that that's where the, we have that great performance where he's Wait, like, are you oh. telling me he's basically water skiing? <laughs> yeah, he's just like dragging up, just holding. Oh on my tight. god! Um, I would have loved to see that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see the deleted scene. I um. I do, yeah, but it's it's funny. Like every small character matters, and then we, but then it's all the humor of it. He gets there, knocks out the Nazi, puts on his outfit, and it's like the smallest man to ever live. <laughs> he, he can't fit the the uniform on. Finds another guy, beats him up, gets a second uniform. At this point, the the he has like five days double, so he looks cooler than ever as Indiana Jones. The the, the he's a baller. Rolls in, finds a bazooka, and he's going to blow up the yard. And I do love that moment because he's like, blow it up. I love that the, the Frenchman Belloc steals the, you know, the submachine gun, pointing it out to the Nazis, back up. He's like, blow it up, do it. So, like, he calls his bluff. And you, like, you think for a moment, there's no chance he could blow it up, right? Or is that the right thing? Should he have blown it up? I mean, well, I think no. Knowing now what was inside of that thing, I'm glad he didn't shoot an RPG at it because I feel like it would have been Armageddon. Like <laughs> it's just mayhem. Yeah. I think yeah, it, it kind of rules that he lowers it down and he's just like, he can't do it. You get it. And then they tie him up. And this is the scene as a kid where I was you were scared by the snakes. I'm scared by the ghosts and stuff. Like when that woman floats into the screen. But I do love that they open it. The guy's doing the whole ritual. He opens it and he sticks his hand in. It's only sand. It's like, oh, the 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 tablets have dissolved or something in time. I guess that's the implication. And they're they're all like, you fool, toads laughing at him. Um and then all this stuff starts happening. Apparently in the script, it just says like mayhem ensues. So they had to just like, like well, what's the mayhem? Which is kind of cool that they just like they basically went to their special effects guys and were like, what's the craziest stuff we can come up with? Um, and I think it all holds up. I think it all looks great. Um, it's definitely like, still spooky. Yeah, especially the the face-melting stuff. That's rules. Where they just made models that had different layers and they that was waxed and would melt and melted as it went. Yeah. That stuff completely holds up. I think. And I think there's no reason why we still don't do it that way. It looks so good. 
Um, not that there's a lot of movies where face melting happens. So um, real quick, I got a pigeons playing ping pong concert. There's not a lot of faces. <laughs> I feel like what is unique about this movie that I like is that while Indiana Jones is is a hero, he doesn't win the movie at the end, I guess. Like really what wins is the arc in this covenant, I guess, that um the spirits i guess you would call it that come out of it so something supernatural happens and something that is like beyond just one man saving the day and i think that that's really unique um and i i actually appreciated that because i feel like nine times out of ten when you when you watch a movie like this it's the hero saves the day like indiana jones is like superman he's you know he's he's like you know the guy but what i love about this is it was like it was a humbling moment for Indiana Jones and it was almost saying something deeper about the world in a way that, you know, there is not necessarily like a Supreme being, but there's something out there that is well beyond us that is more important than us, you know, almost kind of like gave me that kind of vibe in a way. Cause I like, like there's like a wonder to it that this is what I'm talking about. Where like, you see there's like a lack of wonder in the world. And I love the idea that he just like, close your eyes. We can't look at it. Um, and they don't even they don't really explain that earlier in the movie and it but they don't need to um because there's I think it's like alluded to like it's like God you're not supposed to look you're not worthy of looking upon it um but just like the way that one it's just fantastic to see the Nazis get just desserts but like it's a it shouldn't work it's a literal deus ex machina um but for some reason you're watching it and it totally does make sense you're like because you know the Nazis didn't effectively get the ark and win the war um and you didn't need to have Indiana Jones fight his way through there you know if if he had punched everyone out and gotten hold of the arc i don't think that's a superior ending i think it's really cool how it goes down and it really does add to that wonder of it of this mystery there's more mystery to it because you're like how do you properly use this arc right like i know they have top men <laughs> air quotes top men working on it later but you're like yeah it's just what it just it just adds a whole it just, again it expands the world of indiana jones even further where you're like there is still mystery and wonder to it it's just like Brian said, you know, if if Indy punches everybody out and then gets the arc or whatever, that's a fine ending. But the fact that it's almost like some things are too precious to be found. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Some things really, are best left unknown. Right. It's really kind of a, a juxtaposition to the whole archaeology thing going on there at the at the gist of the movie. I thought it was really smart. Yeah. Yeah. I found it, yeah. I just found. I, just, I think it still holds up, special effects wise. And I was in awe. I felt like in awe of it, seeing something because that's another thing is that there's so many imitators, but no, no other movie I can think of has properly gotten that feeling across that you get in this movie. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, and the, and the, 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 the fact that they don't need to care about logic, like, um, there in the script, there was a whole minecart sequence which they, they ended up repurposing in Temple of Doom, where they had to escape the island. But they're like, you don't need to escape the island at that point. It's like it, at that point, the story is kind of come full circle. Marion and Indiana Jones are together. Um, and that's like because I, I think ultimately that's what the heart of the movie is about. And that's why they keep going back to their story in all the sequels, the later sequels, is that it's the arc, the character arc is Indy and Marion finally finding each other and, you know, refining that love that they'd lost in the past. And that's why you, it's funny because then you have the next scene where he's really despondent. And apparently, you know, Marsha Lucas, George Lucas's wife, she was a great editor. 
um, she gave them the suggestion. Apparently, they didn't have that sequence where they're on the steps where they leave, they walk out together. She wasn't Marion wasn't in the movie after that after they get freed, mm-hmm. and she said you need to bring it all full circle because I think she recognized that's the heart of the movie. Because I do like that the the whole notion of like the money's fine. Where's the ark? And they're like, we have our top men on it. Which men? Top men. And again, Indiana Jones, it always throws me off seeing him not in his costume. He's wearing the Navy suit <laughs> and the tan fedora, um, the gray fedora. And they, he walks down, he's totally bummed out. And that's what I think is different for such a crowd-pleasing movie. Um, like, he's sad at the end. She's like, buy me a drink. And he's like, ah, I guess so. <laughs> and they roll out. And it's not like some triumphant over the top. They don't kiss, you know, with the dramatic music playing. And then they just cut to that warehouse. And you see the arc going, being pushed in slowly. Just another thing lost. And then you wonder how many other things like this the government is keeping secret. And, like, it just adds more wonder to it and mystery to the world. And I just get chills thinking about it right now. And just, it, it's just such a perfect ending to me. It is the ultimate like cherry on top. I mean, they didn't need that at the end, but it, I don't know. I was, I was a little conflicted. I mean, I, I kind of liked it because it, it did add to that wonder of it, like you said, but I was also like, this, it, oh, like it flirted with being maybe a little bit too much. Like when, when you see this giant warehouse of other artifacts, you know, it almost like, I don't know. But I, I liked it, though, overall. I, it, it, I just think it flirted with maybe being a little too extreme. Well, theoretically, they don't have to all be artifacts, too. It could just be a random warehouse with other stuff in it. Now, yeah. in the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, they showed that that is, in fact, Area 51. I don't know if that was the intention when they made the movie um, in the first place. Oh, really? Yeah. it's, an, it's, yeah, it's area. That, the, the opening scene of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is they're in that warehouse. Yeah. Um, But I, I, I think it works. I think and it's one of the great credits roll over too i like that the credits start while they're still pushing it you know yeah well it also kind of makes you feel like this is going to be a franchise like this was the first movie but look at all these secrets that these people have found like this is going to be a franchise there's going to be a bunch of movies about other artifacts other things that that they're going to go on an adventure for yeah and so brady this movie gets a lot of talk about its cultural significance and its place in movie history and how it was innovative and things of that nature. So kind of walk us through that now that we've, we've gone through the plot and everything like that. What, why was this such an important movie? I think it was a time and place. It's one, you can't, they, they did not set out to make a hugely influential movie. I think they were literally like at a point in his career where Spielberg was like i'm in a low point i need to have a hit but like i'm not interested in, i want to show people that i can his main motivation is making a movie on time under budget and he can't make a james bond movie so his friend says i have an idea better than james bond um why don't we do this and then they just they're they're remaking the lost serials that they loved from like the 20 like when they're kids seeing the 1930s serials replaying in theaters that were considered like movies that weren't worth anyone's time. They were considered lowbrow, not quality movies. And they, you know, people say that, you know, they elevated it to that level. And I think that a lot of things that people take the wrong takeaways from this, it's because ultimately why the movie works, it's, it's the, it's, it's a Harrison Ford. It's the music, the costume design. And I'd say the direction, the action direction, the action is really, it's the, some of the best directed action ever put on film. 
And when people try to recreate it, they'll maybe take the setting. They'll have somebody, you know, in the desert doing something, but they don't understand the heart of it. They're trying to replicate the wrong things, I feel like. And I feel like that's why even like so like, 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 you know, I've alluded to some of the problems I've had with other sequels is that they're always trying to remake Raiders instead of creating a new serial the way they did with Temple of Doom. I feel like it's like this is such a singular movie and it's like almost like a little perfect piece where it's like, you know, everything builds on top of each other. It's a perfect script where everything interlocks. You love the characters. It's perfectly casted. Um, and I feel like since then, like, I know, what are your guys thoughts on the mummy? People of our generation basically claim the mummy as their Raiders to some extent. And I, I like the mummy, but I don't think it's really in the conversation with this. Um, I don't know. Do you guys are you guys big mummy heads? It's been a long, long time since I've seen it. I did enjoy it when I was young. Yeah, that's the kind of the way I viewed it. You haven't seen it, John? No, I've seen it. I'm not a fan. Perfect. So Brady hit it. Double feature. Um, so here's the double feature. These are things that these are mo- this is a movie that I think is a great companion piece that we maybe won't uh talk about maybe we could talk about this in the future i don't know if we'll uh everyone will be on board for this one but the movie i picked uh is lost horizon 1937 frank capra it's my second favorite frank capra movie behind it's a wonderful life um i think it's one of the great action adventure movies it's definitely it's clearly an influence on uh the indiana jones franchise down to the opening is very similar to the temple of doom beginning and now i almost went with gunga din but gunga din's a perfect uh pairing with temple of doom specifically but lost horizon is basically uh these people are on a plane that gets hijacked it crashes in the middle of the himalayas and they find literal shangri-la the the concept of shangri-la comes from this it's just a beautiful city in the snowy mountains that doesn't make any sense but nobody ages there and that but the characters aren't allowed to leave um so it's like feels like and now it's also very much of its time it's it was trying to be progressive in the moment but in a lot of ways it's backwards and it's portrayals like asian people and things like that so that's something to be kept in mind it's definitely a movie that was made in 1937 but the it, it, it the way that raiders of the lost ark captures that wonder i feel like lost horizon captures that wonder of different place there's more to this world yet to be discovered in this instance it's specifically a, a lost city but just like the whole idea that there's more, I just wish there was more wonder and mystery. And I feel like now that you can literally Google maps any, anywhere, it kind of like there's less wonder and mystery to the planet. And especially when the movie is coming out in 1937 and you know that people like haven't seen those parts of the world, you know, the only way you're going to watch them is in, in the movie theater in a newsreel or on a movie like this. Um, and I just, I, 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 I just rewatch it over and over again. I just love Lost Horizon and it has that texture to it that feels I know it feels like a singular object and some movies don't feel like they have a fully lived in world. And I think that's maybe my problem with a lot of movies that attempt to replicate it is like Indiana Jones. It feels like this is an entire world. You can see why they created sequels because it feels like a real world. Lost Horizon feels like this is a world where the, the characters are so fully realized. Um, the You know, there's action, there's adventure, there's mystery. Um, and there's a little bit of a supernatural element, which, which plays, um, but I, I highly recommend it. I think it's a really fun watch. Um, and you know, it's Frank Capra. So, you know, he's one of the great uh, American filmmakers. So there we go. Potentially coming to a podcast near you soon. Um, Brian kick or Brady explain the scoring system. Then Brian will kick it off. Um, all right. Yeah. So, uh, at the movie go podcast, the way we rank our movies are 
uh, not the goat, one of the goats, or the goat. And that simply means when you say something's not the goat, you're not saying it's bad. It's just not one of the goats. The way I do it personally is I believe a one of the goats is a three and a half out of four star. A the goat is a four star. That's just the way I personally do it. I don't know if everyone else does it their own way, but that's basically to show that we don't think if we say something's not the goat, we're not saying it's bad. Um, but that's just the way we do it. Um, and if all three of us call something the goat, it goes on Goat Mountain or Goat Everest, if you will. I don't know if we have we had a movie that goes on Goat Everest. I was actually trying to think about this the other day. We did, but it was before we really nailed down what the rankings meant. Like the first three or four episodes, we would all just say it's the goat of something. Uh, okay. with, but since we really nailed it down, nothing has gone on Everest. Point Break think, didn't make it. Yeah. Well, even, even with that, I think Point Break was the only one that got. Triple. Yeah, we could put Point Break. Or did you say or did you put uh, Point Break as one of the goats, John? No, I said it was the goat of dialogue. Uh, go to quote. I like the idea that point point breaks the one that we're definitely right, saying. Yeah, right now that. point break is alone on Mount Everest, waiting for a companion someday to join. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian. Um. So, uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to say that this is going on Mount Everest. I definitely think Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the goats. Um, I had, like I said, I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. It was an amazing movie, I think, to watch this time around when I'm older. Um, what I really appreciated it, what I think separates it apart from other action movies, like, I mean, the comparison for me is it's, it's a lot like Star Wars, but on Earth. That's kind of what I felt like. However, in a way, I think I like it more than Star Wars because I feel like this movie has a lot more to say than the Star Wars films. I think the Star Wars films are a lot of fun there the action's incredible the storylines are really cool but i don't think there's a whole lot going on thematically other than like the action <laughs> like i just don't think those movies other than like this is an amazing fun movie experience and i love star wars don't get me wrong but i don't think there's a whole lot more to it i think that i left raiders of the lost ark with more questions than i leave a star wars movie i guess i'll put it that way i was asking myself what okay what does this movie mean after i watched it and I feel like it has enough of those thematics going on, whether it's there's a bit of like humanity in it. There's definitely a lot of anti-Nazi going on, which is great. Obviously support that. Uh, and then also like kind of that supreme being feeling with um, the the covenant kind of actually being almost like the hero and the, the showstopper and the ending of the movie. I liked all of that as well. I also think for considering the movie came out in 1981, the action was incredibly well done. I mean, the whole car chase scene when he goes underneath the truck and I, he fights off like 15 people. And yet every single one of those people he fights off was unique and different and exciting to watch. Like sometimes you watch an action film, something like like Taken, and it's like, oh, he just shot that guy and he just did that. and He kills like a million people on his way to save his daughter. But like you almost get tired of the action because it's the same thing over and over and over again. With Indiana Jones, I felt like the scenes were so detailed. And we talked about how Spielberg did this with Saving Private Ryan, where it's kind of like the small details of these action scenes are what make the movie really interesting and keep your attention. I feel like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark really did that. So um, kind of a, a long-winded explanation of my ranking, but... Yeah, I, I definitely think one of the goats, I, I loved watching it, and I can't wait to watch others in the series again. Although I haven't seen Crystal Skull or the new one, so. Awesome. Yeah, so I'll go next. And 
This is a really tough one for me. I am going to go GOAT, but I'm going to go it. It's in a vacuum. It may have been different. It's almost like Joel Embiid winning the MVP this year where he wasn't actually the best player, but he deserved the career MVP. I'm going to go with this is like a GOAT where Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones, because Indiana Jones is such a legendary character, and this launched that that this is the goat. I thought the action was absolutely phenomenal. The chase scene was outrageous. The dialogue was sneaky, really good for an action movie. You know, like is the dialogue in star Wars really that good? It's not like, you know, for like a popcorn action movie, Brady, you were saying he was looking for a hit under budget. It was written really well. And I thought that the characters were pretty fleshed out really well. And Harrison Ford is the rare guy that you can believe can be the archaeology professor, the badass fighting guys. He could be the president, but also like this guy who beats up the Soviets in Air Force One. Like he can be all these different people. And so between Ford and Spielberg, you kind of I kind of had to give this the goat status, especially Brady hearing, you know, how culturally influential this movie was and what it led to and what led up to it um so yeah overall i really loved watching it again it was extremely fun to revisit and i i probably will watch last crusade and and temple pretty soon just to to catch up with my buddy indy and uh brady do you want to close it out before i introduce the next one so I'm going to say it. I'm going to say this is the GOAT adventure movie. I'm, I'm, I'm as broad as that. Um, I think it's it, it still has that. It's the humor. It's the music. I, I, and I think we haven't given John Williams enough credit. It is maybe the greatest theme ever written for a character, right? And it's just so good. Oh, better than Bond. Well, you have to. Uh, uh, we'll save that for, for a Bond cast. I'll have to think about that one. Um, I, say, I say yes. Yeah, it's like really good. It's really, I don't know. I love, I mean, I love, obviously, those are the two like top five of all time. Um, But like, I just, and you can't underestimate what the music, the music is crucial to the whole thing. But I think that just like the, it's, it's that mystery. This captures a, a world that you just, feels like there's more to it i don't know and that's why it's, it's hard to articulate in a way that like it's i think what brian was saying it's it feels like it's more than just like a basic action movie but it's also like every single ingredient is perfect down to the casting i you know i i can't emphasize enough how incredible the costume designing is because without it like you can't name another character that has such as if you saw their silhouette you know who it is it's like even more than like a superman like this is the this is the guy, and it's I think it's just the hat, the whip, the leather jacket. Um, he just it's just perfect. Everything about it is perfect. The direction's great, the scripts flawless from Lawrence Kasdan, and you just I don't know. I just the, the texture Douglas Sutcliffe with the uh, cinematography. It's one of my favorite looking movies, maybe my favorite looking movie of all time, and I just have a blast. It's it's like what now what you're saying, John. It's like hanging out with a buddy. You see Indy, he gets in his adventures. It's just like you're you're like, ah, he here he here he's at it again. He's he's fighting the Nazis. You love to see it. And I just have a blast. And Spielberg really stepped it up, stepped it up, and he created in trying to 
created his own James Bond. He created something, you know, along those lines. Uh, you know, he's on the the rush more of great characters. I think it's Harrison Ford's best character. I think it's just a really, it's the ideal popcorn movie. I almost want to change it to the goat popcorn movie because when I go to the movies in the summer, this is the ideal of what you're going in for. Everything looks great. The locations are great. The map paintings, I love of that the special effects everything about it comes to full you know i don't know it, it's between if i'm choosing my favorite spielberg movie i don't know like jaws is in the equation there's obviously temple which i do love as well um and there's a few yeah, I don't know, he's he's one of the greats so we ever thought about that uh, i was just saying jurassic park is that on your list jurassic park isn't in the conversation to for the best okay jurassic park's a fantastic movie but if i'm saying the best um it's tough because he's like he's just in a period in his career at this point when he was making this movie where he was just in the pocket where all those movies just look very much as that Amblin film kind of look where everything looks so cool. Uh, he just had the humor. I think you can't underestimate how per- I think because I think he's the, the humor is always getting recalculated in these movies. This is like kind of like that perfect level of it where like it's not so over the top humor where you're not really worried about the character you're still not sure how indiana jones out of the dilemmas he gets in all the traps that are in there and just like all the set pieces are so cool every single set piece is iconic the boulder you know the the car chase the you know the end with the arc getting open like every single moment is iconic and so many people have tried to replicate it and they can't and i think it's just a testament to some movies are just special and I think this movie has that, it got touched by the movie gods. It has that magic to it where people will always watch this movie. As long as people watch movies, someone's going to be watching the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just always going to be there. Indiana Jones is one of the great characters. After we're all long gone, I think people will still be returning. It'll be one of those few movies from the 80s because, you know, 50 years from now, people aren't going to keep watching the, you know, the old movies. But I think people will always return to it because it feels modern in a way that's crazy. It even feels more modern than the new one which is kind of strange thing to say, but for some reason it's just timeless. It's one of the, one of the great movies. And I just, I just have a blast. There's a reason I dress up anytime someone has a theme party, I'm dressing up as Indiana Jones. It's a great bit. I always tell people I'm coming up. Oh, I'm going to come. I have some surprise. Indy. It plays. You always feel cool. You look like a bozo. There's no other time in your life that you can wear a fedora and not look like a bozo. And even then I probably look like a bozo still, but you still feel cool putting on the jacket. And I just, you put on the hat, the man in the hat, the man with the whip. I just love it. It's a great movie. So I'm, go. I don't wear fedoras, but I'm pro fedora. So any of our fans that, that wear fedoras, you got my support. I I support anyone that want, that has the confidence to wear a fedora. I support that hundred percent. I am there with you on that. All right. I mean, Brian, I was just going to say real, real quick. Um, I'm sitting here and I said one of the goats and, I can't think of an adventure movie because when I was explaining my rating, I even said I think I might like it better than Star Wars. So I I, I don't know. Maybe it is the goat. I, like, I just can't think of a, an adventure movie that I like better. Um, Did we just have a full turn Mount Everest reveal? I think I'm, I, yeah, I'll switch my vote. Because if we're going off the four-star scale, it's not getting three and a half for me. It's getting four. I mean, it's too influential, and it's had too much of a cultural impact. And I was interested in it enough to say that this is a, a four out of four movie. That was wow. it for me. Note Everest. That was it for me. A little sound effect. If we get like a little music or something, now it's going up into this into the stars on a Goat Everest. 
like a goat doing a do they they don't buy like sheep what, what kind of noise they do, they do, bah. yeah that i think that like the and, and also we got to say there's something about rewatchability and it's a, this is a movie that never gets old and i think that's a factor of why in its greatness and brady you've shown me a lot of movies over the past like three four years when we really got into this and a lot of times i'll bust your balls over like oh, is this going to be another black and white movie? Or is this going to be another like old movie where things don't make sense? You're exactly right. I could watch this movie in 30 years and be like, this movie rocks. Um, But since I got you guys here, Brian, I want to ask you first. Rank the jackets. Brady into the Indiana Jones jacket, the Indiana Jones jacket, or... The Richie April jacket. <laughs> and Sopranos. The jacket. It's gotta be the Richie April jacket. That the Richie April jacket, yeah, it's kind of sick. <laughs> People said I couldn't carry this jacket of a man of my stature. <laughs> All right. You guys got anything else for the people? I just oh, I'm just excited. I'm just excited that we had that turnaround. That's exciting. That go to yeah. Everest. It's a, that's I mean, like the first pure one. Sometimes I get off this podcast and I'm like, oh, I regret my rating and I don't want to regret it. I feel like I there's no way I wouldn't give it four stars. Although I am sitting here debating, like, do I actually like Jumanji better in a way? <laughs> but, but Jumanji did. I know that you can laugh at that, but you talk about rewatchable and just like movies of my childhood that you talk about an adventure movie that is like a quintessential adventure movie, I you know. You kind of tongue in cheek, like can make fun of it, but I that movie's great, and Robin Williams is a legend. But I think overall, you know, Jumanji didn't really have. I guess they do have a franchise now with The Rock, but I think the fact that Indiana Jones actually created a a real trilogy um, that was very successful, and I need to rewatch the others. But I feel like that makes it, you know, it, it makes it the goat. So I'm happy with my rating. All right, so out of nowhere, we do have the addition to Goat Everest. Raiders of the Lost Ark, episode nine of the movie Goats is in the books. Episode 10 is next week. And because it's episode 10, we are doing 10 things I hate about you. Something I'm really looking forward to. A departure from the type of stuff we've been doing lately, for sure. It ain't no Fargo. It ain't no Raiders of the Lost Ark. But 10 things I hate about you is coming up next. Love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to our socials. We're trying to build them every day, every week. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks, we really enjoyed yeah, doing thanks for Austin Phil for a uh, theme song. Again, thank you to Austin for the theme song. And Brady, take us home. I will just say I just had a great vision in my mind of the 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 rock wall was closing. And it was and, and and Goat Everest was going away from Raiders. <laughs> and then Brian reached out with the whip. He grabbed the hat back from under it and saved it. And now we're on Goat Everest. And that's that's the note we'll end this podcast on on top of a mountaintop, all three of us arm in arm. No, no goat sound. <laughs> bah.